Welcome back to Season 4 of the I Am Black History Podcast, brought to you by In the Black Canada and Deep Visions Media. I am your host, Donna Paris, and I thank you so much for continuing to tune in to listen to these stories from all the folks who we met as we traveled across this country for the past two years. We came across some amazing people who are descendants of Black folks who came to Canada in a variety of ways and made a life and a community for themselves and those coming after them. Join me now for part one of my conversation with one of those descendants, Percy Paris from Windsor, Nova Scotia. I'm pleased to be here today with Percy Paris, who was born October 21st, 1948 in Windsor, Nova Scotia. His father and mother, John Francis Paris and Annie Mae Paris, and he states, I always loved and knew as Uncle Buster and Aunt Annie. Percy's dad was my mom's oldest brother. Percy's paternal grandparents were Regina Elizabeth Jackson, Lee Ash, and Percy Jackson. But Uncle Buster's biological father was Spurgeon Paris. On his maternal side, his grandfather was Alonzo Howard States, and his grandmother was Gertrude Rosanna Boyle. Percy Paris is the former NDP MLA of the District of Waverly Fall River Beaver Bank, the second Minister of African Nova Scotian Affairs, and the office's first Minister of African Descent. He was a small business owner, a municipal employee for the city of Halifax, and a hockey scout with the International Hockey League and the Quebec Minor Junior Hockey League. Percy is an active community volunteer and a recipient of a Human Rights Award from the Human Rights Commission of Nova Scotia. He is the current chair of the Africa Heritage Trust and has been involved in other organizations, including the River Lake Residents Association, the Black Business Initiative, the Halifax Black Community Workshop, the Dartmouth East Black Learning Center, and the Metro Community for Persons with Disabilities, just to name a few. Welcome, Percy. I'm so pleased to have you here to open up season four of the I Am Black History podcast. Lots to talk about. Thanks for having me, and it's just a pleasure to uh, to be able to sit and chat with you, Donna. <laughs> I love it. You know, as I mentioned, we share a history, and I know it's not easy to find out who and where we came from. What do you know about how the Parises came to be there in Windsor? The Parises in Windsor, it's a long story. I know, and through the help of Dr. States and through the help of the uh, West Hans Historical Society and through uh, this modern technology they call the Internet, uh, <laughs> I do know this for a fact that uh, well before the year of 1856, that the uh, Parises were property owners uh, within the town of Windsor, that my father's grandfather was a businessman in the town of Windsor, a well-respected businessman at that. Prior to 1856, I don't know a lot of the history because, as you're well aware, here in Nova Scotia, the African Nova Scotian community, most of our history is an oral history. The things that we wrote down were in the family Bible. And as the family Bible gets older and the pages yellow and they fade and they where they just simply go back to dust. Uh, a lot of the written history, so-called written history, uh, is lost. So we rely heavily on oral history, much like the First Nations community has done for hundreds of years. And you mentioned this businessman. What was his name? His name was Isaac. I heard something about owning a laundry. This is really, really rare. If you can think of the, the years, and we're, we're going back to the early 1900s, the late 1800s, 
Isaac uh, had a laundromat, uh, which turned into be a laundromat dry cleaning business as time went on. And my father actually inherited that business as a young man. Of course, life in, in the world was interrupted with, uh, with the World War II. Uh, which my father participated in. And of course, like most things, or maybe more like all things mm -hmm. that involve African Nova Scotians, is the entrepreneurship doesn't last forever because it doesn't take long for others to realize and the others don't look like you, that uh, they want to piggyback on your success and start their own business. And it uh, it's pretty hard to, for black businesses in those times to compete against against white business. Well, not pretty hard. It's uh, darn near impossible. So over the years, the business did fade and competition comes to town and one thing led to another. I do remember as a kid, the laundromat. I do remember the, the dry cleaning business. I remember the building and uh, the apartments that were uh, located uh, above the building. So they also rented out apartments? Uh, yes, they did. Uh, they had apartment uh, above that was uh, fully fully furnished, and uh, that was a rental a rental property. I think that my father and his father and his uh, his forefathers, I think it was uh, necessity was the mother of invention, and anyway that the community members could think to raise money, they uh, they were always thinking and never given much credit for. I guess the black community in general, when you think about the paramedics, at one time, all the paramedics, uh, certainly in North America and where they originated from in the United States, were black. It was blacks that started the whole concept of paramedics. And uh, now today, you'd be hard press to find a paramedic uh, of color. I didn't know that. I wasn't aware of that piece of history. The first black paramedics in the world were out of um, Chicago, Illinois, and uh, they were black. And uh, when you think about back in the day when ambulances, they go to a car accident, and most times it would be a fire truck, a police truck, or a hearse that would show up at the accident scene, but not to administer care. And of course, uh, if you were black, then uh, you know you, you weren't gonna get any care anyway. Some former soldiers who were medics uh, during the years in the military and during war, arrived home and decided they should take matters into their own hands. Then it became a competition. Who's going to get there first? <laughs> <laughs> There are so many uh, entrepreneurs of African descent today. Uh, uh, persons of African de descent are born with that entrepreneurial spirit. And again, it's a matter of survival. Well, we're going to talk a bit about your entrepreneurial spirit, but I want to get back to one other question about um, Isaac. And did I hear that three of his sons went to university at Acadia University? Uh, they did go to university. Now, I don't know whether or not they graduated. Dad didn't go to university, but if you think back, I mean, Dad was born in uh, 1921. He did achieve a grade 11 education. And back in the 1920s, 1930s, 
a grade 11 education was considered pretty darn good. Mm. I did get to uh, see Dad's report cards from his later high school, and he was always ranked one or two within his class, so he certainly wasn't a stupid man. I think I can say that not only about Dad, but I think all of his siblings were pretty bright when it came to schoolwork. You know, my mom would tell me the story of being the only black family allowed to live in the town of Windsor. They were the only family of African descent for years and years and years in the town of Windsor. They were a well-respected family. Now, Dad, he was together, but yet he was separate from his siblings. They all shared the same mom. They didn't share the same father. Dad was the oldest, and Dad's father and his grandmother, who practically raised Dad, they really, really stressed, the whole family stressed education. And when I look at Dad and his siblings, every one of them, and how gifted and well-versed and well-rounded they were when it came to knowledge, for individuals of that vintage, they had a wealth of knowledge. There were other things besides education that they all knew how to do. I could talk to Dad, or he could talk to us about anything. Uh, he knew how to drive a 14 horse. He knew how to drive the wagon. Uh, I guess what they used to call four in hand. Mm -hmm. He had mastered that skill. He worked as an orderly. He worked at the gypsum mines in Windsor. He worked for Canada Post. He had the laundromat. He was a landlord. All those things to, to raise a family. And one of his proudest things in life, his biggest accomplishments, and he said to me one time, he said, well, he said, your mother worked, but you never had to work outside of the home. He thought that was quite an accomplishment. Your dad also had an amazing garden. We grew up with a garden. <laughs> and I laugh about it now because particularly on Saturdays is that here it is Saturday, no school, and you get up in the morning, you got to go out and weed the garden. And sometimes the garden was so big, and if all your siblings didn't chip in and pull their weight, it took forever to weed through that garden. And all you can think about getting out, getting to the ball field, getting ready for a dance on Saturday night, or whatever the case may be. But if uh, if there was quibbling amongst uh, uh, amongst myself and my siblings, it was it meant there would be a delay in the free time that we're going to have every Saturday. Uh, time to get up, time to get out and, uh, and do some weeding. He had a beautiful garden. And what Dad would do, he'd come home at lunchtime. We'd come home from school, and uh, he didn't make us go out in the garden at lunchtime, but he'd go out in the garden at lunchtime and just be picking up weeds or, or throwing a rock away or, or just doing. He, uh, he loved his garden. He had, I think, probably the most scenic-looking garden in all of Hans County. People would come in just to take pictures of his garden. Oh, did you see Buster's garden this year yet? And, you know, it became a conversation piece, certainly within the town of Windsor. And most of the stuff that he grew, uh, all the vegetables he gave away. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people would come to visit. 
on uh, on Sunday and they go away with their grocery a grocery bag full. I love this blueberries. The fattest, biggest blueberries I've ever saw in my life. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that Dad did, he nurtured his crops. He would look for bugs and he made sure he had the proper fertilizer and the proper manure and so caring about his garden. It was very meticulous. If he had a competition going on with some of his neighbors, every year they would take their produce and they would enter it in the local exhibition every year in September. And Dad would always win something. He didn't win everything, but he would always place first, second, third. It it became a competition and and some of the uh, his competitors and Dad would do the same. They would do drive-bys <laughs> one another's garden. And so was he self-taught or did he, who did he learn this gardening from? Well, I think most of it was uh, self-taught, but he uh, he worked on a farm uh, when he was a youngster. He was a handy person on a farm. And, and again, I reiterate, uh, anyway to uh, 50 cents here, 50 cents there, it, uh, it would all add up. Your dad was a Paris, and all his other siblings were Jackson. So Percy Jackson was the, our grandfather, and he had four brothers and four sisters. Did you know all of them? And what stories can you tell us about some of them? What I remember about Percy Jackson is I know this. Dad had great love and affection for Percy Jackson. We grew up thinking that Percy Jackson was our grandfather. Nobody told us any different, and Dad made sure that uh, we visited on a regular basis. I can remember going up to Milton, up to Percy Jackson's place. I can remember when he married Anna. Dad and I went to the wedding. I remember them very, very well. Dad was a proponent of respect, especially for elders. Call people Mr., Mrs., Uncle. We learned to say please and thank you. Actually, we learned to say mom and dad. Manners and politeness was very, very important in the Jackson Paris household. And what do you know about some of his siblings? Percy Jackson's siblings. Yeah, I know very little about them. Percy Jackson. I think there would have been greater interaction with, with who we called granddad, with Percy Jackson. But Percy Jackson and our grandmother, Elizabeth, split up. So there for a while, Granny, uh, Elizabeth Jackson, actually lived with us. Mm-hmm. And she uh, uh, she was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, she was very consuming. Uh, she was a, a, a very, a very time-consuming individual and a very, if I can say this in a, in a polite way, a very demanding uh, individual. The only person that I can recall that uh, Granny would take a back seat to was Dad. I don't know what it was, but Dad had a, had an influence over her. But in the same breath, he respected her as his mother and treated her as his mother. I couldn't understand it, but then as you get older, and you learn more about the history of the family, and you get to talk more with your aunts and your uncles, then you learn more about the dynamics within your own family. And I learned that Dad uh, was the champion of the family. 
everybody, all of his siblings, looked up to him because he was the oldest. He wasn't living with them. He lived separately. But to Dad's siblings, it's always seemed like Dad had a lot. It seemed like he had a lot compared to what they had. So there was uh, some envy, uh, not a jealousy, mm-hmm. uh, but there was some envy. And there was always that thought that, well, if there's anything wrong, Buster can fix it. For all of Dad's siblings, there was a strong, a very, very strong bond. And at some point in time, all of his siblings at some point in time lived with us. The house was never empty. We always had uh, somebody staying with us. And most times, majority of times, it was family. Your mom's side, what do you know about her people and how they came to be in Nova Scotia, the states? I know you haven't well, done a lot of digging. Skip is by far the expert. And uh, I just got to tell you this a little sidebar. I've had the pleasure of going on many trips with Skip. We're first cousins, but we're also uh, the best of friends. And uh, I can remember this was a two-hour trip one way. So him and I are driving together. It's just him and I. Third in the car. And I uh, I asked, I said, how's your research going, Skip? Well, I didn't get to say another word for the rest of the whole two hours. And so we get in the car and we turn back. This is another two hours back. So I'm thinking to myself as I'm getting in the car, well, I know he must be tired now. So we get in the car. I start the car up. I'm heading out the road. He looked at me and said, and where did I stop off at? <laughs> it was another two up. But I I, I, I got to say it, uh, it was very entertaining is not the right word, but it was a very, it was very educational. My mother was uh, was born on Pontiac Road. Pontiac Road, the Three Mile Plains District, just outside of Windsor. Her father, Alonzo States, another individual that was well-respected, uh, certainly in his own community, ruled with a pretty iron hand, which was the norm in those days. Just another great individual. The sad part about on my mother's side is they were well past by the time I was born, so there wasn't, I didn't have the interaction, the human interaction with him that I had with the um, grandparents on my on my father's side. But mm-hmm. I certainly had interactions with all of my mother's siblings, and uh, that was a hoop. I had a couple uncles on my uh, mother's side that were part of the number two construction battalion. I had family on my mother's side that fought in the war. That was the case. On both sides of the family, there's quite a story on Dad's side of the family with his uh, younger brother, Percy Jackson Jr. That was quite a heartwarming story, which CTV nationally and locally carried for the last two Remembrance Days. Well, tell us the story. My father, Buster, joined the Army with the outbreak of the war. He was sent overseas almost immediately. And he was with the 87th Battalion. Uncle Junior, who would have been the uh, youngest male, much younger than Dad, uh, would have been 15 at the time. And he worshipped Dad. He was somewhat lost with his his older brother around to run things by. And at 15 years of age, 
uh, he tried to enlist in the uh, military because he was going to go off and find his brother. And of course, they wouldn't let him in because of his age. So he said, oh, he said, so I'm too young. So Junior uh, waited for approximately a year. So at age 16, he went again. This time he got in. He lied about his age. He joins the military. They send him overseas. So he's in pursuit of his, uh, of his brother, Buster. And that's his purpose. That's his one goal. So everywhere he goes, he's asked, well, where's the 87th? Where's the 87th Battalion? The 87th had already started marching across Europe. They were heading for Holland. They don't know that when they leave. They're on their way across Europe, and uh, they encounter the enemy along the way, but they get orders as they go along. So the final destination is going to be Holland. Junior, dead younger brother, he's traveling the same path that the 87th did, his regiment. And everywhere he goes, the 87th is just ahead of them. They've already been here, but they're following orders. They continue. They find the 87th arrives in Holland, takes part in the liberation of Holland. Right behind them, right on their heels, are the nobles, and that's Uncle Junior's troop. They arrive. Uncle Junior, he finds the 87th. Did you know Bus? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's he's down at the uh, at the tent there. He's having a beverage. He's having a beverage with the with some of the lads. Uncle Junior finds the beverage tent and goes in there. Dad's at the bar having a drink. He turns around. He sees Junior there, and he gives Uncle Junior a double take. He says. Junior, what the hell are you doing here? So they meet. Meantime, while all of this is going on, while Uncle Junior's traveling across Europe looking for Buster, his mother finds out back home that her son has joined the army. So she's up in arms. She's calling politicians. She's calling the, the armed forces and tells them, she says, look, You've got my son, you've got two of my sons over there. One of them's under age. Now, if anything happens, there's going to be hell to pay. Granny was uh, uh, could be quite a spitfire when she wanted to be. So she was up one side and down the other of uh, whoever it would be that she was talking to. So finally, word gets to the commanding officer, and they said, "Well, you got this underager." They called Junior in. To the CO's uh, tent, said you got two choices. One, you go pack your bags and we're shipping you back to Canada. It's going to happen right now. Or two, you can choose to stay, but no more will you be in the front line of duty. You'll be working with the chaplain's office. You'll be doing service with the chaplain and you do whatever the chaplain tells you to do. And I give him strict orders as much as possible, keep the order of harm's way. Arthur Jr. chose to uh, stay put, and then he uh, he began to administer religious help to uh, wounded and dying uh, soldiers. And uh, so, and that started him on a, on a career in the military. <laughs> I um, love that story. 
It's a made-for-movie story. <laughs> for sure. Well, let's go back to talk about your parents. So how did your parents meet? Before the war, Dad had several jobs. And when you're a young man, and I think it's uh, you're always uh, have an eye open for young women. And my mother came from a family of uh, a very, very large family, brothers and sisters. And uh, so it was a, a natural meeting of the past. Dad, living in Windsor, frequently went out to the uh, the, the three-mile plains areas for uh, uh, whether there'd be dances, whether there'd be happenings, uh, there'd be picnics. Uh, so it was just a matter of time before their paths would cross. My, my mother was uh, quite attractive. Dad was a handsome gentleman. They actually became... Uh, husband and wife, and uh, they had a very long, long, loving uh, relationship. Mom, like all the uh, women of the day, uh, she cooked, she sewed, she did all those, if I can say this without sounding sexist, did all those home chores that most mothers of that time did as a stay-at-home mom while the husband was out earning a paycheck. She was an amazing, amazing cook. She was a seamstress. And again, I think that's the invention of necessity. You pick those habits up from a parent. It's a natural path forward. Did either of your parents talk to you about the racism they might have had to deal with as they were growing up? Dad faced racism. Uh, he worked for uh, Fundy Gypsum. And uh, he talked about the experiences at Fundy Gypsum. An incident which he he quit his job over it, uh, met our principal. He was an orderly at the uh, hospital, and he said nothing but good things about the the nurses and the doctors at the uh, at the Windsor Hospital and how well they treated him. However, when he went off to war, and he came back home, he was looking for a job. Uh, because the laundromat wasn't enough to sustain him in a, a growing family. And he had another fight on his hands because he had to fight to get the uh, the job uh, with Canada Post. He said how disheartening it was that he was just overseas, was wounded twice, was in the trenches, fighting for his country, and came home and he had a fight to get a job, all because he was black. They put a demand on Dad about a test. They didn't know how smart Buster Paris was. You pass this test, you've got the job. Dad agreed to it, wrote the test, passed it in flying colors, and got the job. And he worked for the Canada Post for how many years? Over 30 years. And he got to know, well, everybody in town, in the surrounding area, knew Buster Paris. And I think he knew everybody as well. <laughs> and I don't think his, uh, his siblings would disagree with him uh, or with me. And he helped pave the way for them as they came along behind him. I know over the years, the siblings uh, that returned uh, to the homestead in Windsor were always grateful to be there and always happy to see mom and dad. To them, it was uh, coming home again. 
One of the things I loved about your dad is he always showed up. You know, I have photos of your dad. He came to my grade 12 graduation. He thought it was important to attend things. And I don't know how he did this. I couldn't keep up to him. And as we got older, I mean, as you well know, Dad and I traveled a lot together. But I couldn't keep up to him. Uh, he'd be in Troy. Next thing you know, I, you know, he's in New Glasgow. And, well, what were you doing? Well, there was such and such going on. And, or uh, he, he was at your graduation. He went to Skip's graduation. He, I mean, he must have been cloned. Uh, <laughs> it was just, I thought it was virtually impossible for him to show up at all the places that he showed up. He spent so much time in Halifax that many of the residents of Halifax thought he lived there. (laughs) (laughs) Family seemed very important to him, keeping connections with family. Did emphasize and stress to us, and we were always going to visit family. It got so confused. I was calling this one uncle, this one aunt. I didn't know who was my real <laughs> uncle, who was my aunt. But everybody was aunt and uncle. Everybody was my cousin. <laughs> the, hey, cousin, hey, cousin, hey, cousin. In most cases, when it came to the cousin, chances were that we were cousins. Because Nova, <laughs> Nova Scotia is such a small black population compared to every place else. Is that if you looked Far enough down the line, you would see some type of connection somewhere along the line. So I went along with it. You're my cousin. Yes, <laughs> yes, we're cousins. <laughs> what would stump me, every now and then somebody would come and say, well, hey, Percy. I say, hi, cuz. <laughs> and uh, they would say, now, remind me again. How are we cousins? <laughs> 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 and then I would always come up with it. Well, you know, we're in Nova Scotia, you know, you go back far enough, we're all, we're all related. <laughs> I don't know if I ever told you the story about when I was going to Dalhousie and I was at a dance one night and I met this guy and we were dancing up, having a good time. At the end of the night, we we're going to exchange phone numbers and it turns out it was Lorne. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God we did the number thing and history. Who who are you related to? Well, we're not the dance, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the things that in our black community, our parents never talked to me about who belonged to who or who belonged to what. If, if somebody was living with us, we never gave it a second thought. We just it's just there. I wish we had been more open. I wish we had uh, written more things down. I wish I had known who my biological grandfather was at the time, instead of learning about it many, many years later. I just wish I had known these things. Thanks for tuning in. I always start a new season with a family member. Season one was Leonard Paris. Season two was Charles Jackson. Season three was Andrew Paris. And today you got to hear some of my conversation with Percy Paris, who is my first cousin. It was such a pleasure to sit down with Percy and talk about my Uncle Buster and my Aunt Annie, my Uncle Junior and other family members, and about the things that we can learn from each other. Join me on January 29th when I continue my conversation and he talks about growing up black in Windsor, Nova Scotia, how sports, in particular hockey, was very important to the family, 
about his brother John who had an amazing hockey career and about why it's important that everyone knows the story of Africville and all the other stories of Black Canadians in Nova Scotia and across Canada. In the meantime, you can catch other episodes of I Am Black History, Our Voices, Our Stories, wherever you get your podcast. And if you have a story to tell, you can reach me at www.intheblackcanada.ca or at intheblackcanada at gmail.com. The only question is, what's your story?